millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, Christian Bale puts on the pounds going through dick and thin in his Cheney biopic, and director Adam McKay tells us just what terrible precedents this vice created. Plus, Nicole Kidman plays a Los Angeles detective hunting for an old foe, but will it destroy her? I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining my oval pod booth is Sam Howlett S. Truman. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it goes downhill next. Okay. Uh, and James K. Powell. <laughs> Hello. It's Kelly Powell's here as well. Hi. Um, credit to you listeners if you got that one. It was James K. Polk. <laughs> Every, everyone's favourite president. <laughs> yeah, so you should we, have done Colin Powell. Yeah. Who is in Vice. He's in Vice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that, doesn't, that no, joke doesn't work. He's not an actual president. <laughs> Neither is Cheney. No, but then... Because the, the first joke that I thought of was Sam Howlett S. Truman. So I thought, I'm gonna, oh, you've got to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Once I've settled with that, I've got to go with it. <laughs> now we have to be careful because whenever anyone is in this room, everything starts to be recorded. <laughs> uh, so we must be careful about what we say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Academy Award nominated Adam McKay on the show in a bit, as well as some discussion on Vice, uh, which is now nominated for Best Picture as well. Uh, but let's let's start with Destroyer. And now this is about a kind of grizzled cop played by Nicole Kidman out in L.A. She's called Erin Bell. And she goes undercover to infiltrate a gang. Uh, some tragic results come of it. And then a few years down the line, uh, a member of that gang re-emerges and kind of throws a spanner in the work. Now, people that might follow the Shiznit on Twitter, I don't know if any either of you do this? No. I do not, Ali no. Gray, um, does a great gallery every year of... Uh, what the Oscar posters actually mean. Right. Uh, oh. Like Photoshop. Oh, I do know what this is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, like, the Star is Born one is Photoshop's. So it said, like, should have nominated the Ass Jeans song. <laughs> 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 and the Photoshop for Destroyer is just uh, Nicole Kidman without makeup. <laughs> yeah. And a wig. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, Kelly, is, is mm. this film maybe a lot more than that? Yeah, no, it totally is. It totally is. Um, it is directed by Karen uh, Kusama, um, who made what was the last one? Do you know the invitation? The invitation, a, a yeah. film that I love. Yeah, I know you're yeah. like. I like the invitation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and uh, didn't she do? Um, 
Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body, yeah, Jennifer's. Yeah. But she's done a couple. Uh, she's an interesting one to sort of follow. Yeah, I mean, um, she, and because her second, she had a like indie darling hit. Then she had Aeon Flux, the manga oh, yes. oh, adaptation. Yeah. Yes, um, and that's like this case of that second film not doing well, and then almost having to rebuild. Well, mm. it's a case of someone getting a big Hollywood movie too quickly into their mm. career. After their breakout first film, they're immediately given the reins to do this huge uh, mm. project, which they haven't built up that that skill set yet. Mm. And immediately, they're kind of in director prison for a few years until they yeah. have to build their way back up. To her, she's obviously been working on this for ages. Her husband uh, was one of the screenwriters on it, um, and so I think it was a bit of a passion project for her. Um, and it's a very considered film. I think it's a very complicated. Uh, uh, narrative um, and she handles a lot really well um, I think I mean, Nicole it's a, it's a tough ask to bring is. something new to the LA detective mm. story totally but she does you mm. know she does and um, they've, there's been a lot of talk around locations used in the film um, locations that people you know like directors who've commented on the fact that like where are these locations? They found they really spent a lot of time scouting different um, different versions and perspectives of, yeah. of the LA sort of. So I mean, yeah, we, we like we don't really think about it. We've probably seen every single location. Yeah, that we think it's of in true. LA. I mean, you know, overused and but this one really feels uh, very gritty and and real. You know, Nicole Kidman does a great job. I think. I think it's a you don't see many women in this kind of a role. Like the you know the women in a neo noir always serves a function um in this one she's sort of you know she heralds it she's 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 the at the forefront of the narrative um and she's super flawed as a human being um you struggle to empathize with her although you do i mean all along the way it's sort of told in flashbacks um and you kind of have to watch this very closely i think i think it uh needs a second watch at once you've seen it to sort of go ah okay you know because it's a lot of information but um but interesting, you know, you kind of at the edge of your seat wanting to know oh, where's the story going? What is this character? What is going to be the outcome yeah, of this yeah. character? You know, And when someone inhabits a character like that, we talk about wanting to kind of wallow in films that have beautiful landscapes or atmospheres with a, a character of this depth. Sometimes you've got to go revisit it and just see how much they're doing to get inside that person. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a it's not a pretty film. No, yeah, um, and it's not the only film out this week. Uh, of course, the the other one and uh, our main focus this week is Adam McKay's Vice. Uh, Sam, you were lucky enough to sit down. I guess, say it again with the Academy Award nominated Adam McKay. Um, tell us a bit about Vice. So Vice is Adam McKay's follow up to The Big Short, and it's very much in the same wheelhouse where it is a political satire told in a very kind of very similar in tone and style. You know, it's very energetic, very playful with the form. Uh, breaks the fourth wall a lot. It does a lot of things with editing. Um, but here his focus is on the story of Dick Cheney. So this is very much a biopic. Follows Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, his rise uh, in career through the White House until he became the vice president to George W. Bush, where he's very much seen as this kind of hidden figure, the power behind the throne. But I think this is a lot funnier than The Big Shaw. It's definitely got more gags and I was very lucky as you say to sit with Adam McKay last week in a hotel in London. And you also spoke about the film. That, that doesn't come up. Adam McKay, welcome to the Curzon podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so we're here to talk about Vice. 
uh, your Dick Cheney biopic. Can you tell us a bit about uh, what your sort of thoughts and impressions were of Dick Cheney before making this film and if that changed at all in the process of making the film? I had had a conversation about four or five years ago with a friend where I was saying, you know, I really believe people are basically good and that even when people do evil, there's a person under there mm. who's in pain that you can have compassion for except Dick Cheney. <laughs> and my friend jokingly said, well, then you have to do a movie about Dick Cheney. And little did I know he would be proven right uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago when I started reading a book about him and was mm -hmm. like, holy moly, this guy changed world history and we don't know that much about him. So what changed was I did find some compassion for him. Okay. I did, yeah, yeah. And I, I, and I don't mean I want to give the guy a big hug, but... Yeah, there's a person there. There's a person there who got tempted by power and it broke apart his family and hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of people died and people were tortured and America changed. Mm. But I did find a human being there and that surprised me. That okay. surprised me. And that was part of the quest of the movie. And, and sure enough, it was there. And is this a story you've been wanting to tell for a while? And what was it like? The big short, the success of the big short gave you the confidence to explore Dick Cheney as a character? Yeah, we knew, you know, there, there wasn't exactly, uh, there were not exactly a bunch of studios around Hollywood clamoring for a Dick Cheney movie. Yeah, so um, so we definitely knew we were going for it on this one. I mean, he's a pretty uncharismatic guy, yeah. pretty unpopular guy. Yeah. But we just felt like this story needed to be uh, gotten down. You know, there needed to be a film about it. And uh, and there's a mystery there. And, and in some ways it explains, not entirely, but some parts of how the world became as crazy as it is. Uh, and then one of the fortunate, you know, outcomes of it was I got to witness these brilliant performances from these actors mm. who who helped solve the mystery of who these people were. So uh, it was quite an experience. It definitely was. And in you know, in having Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, can you talk a bit about the process of working with him to create this this person? And did you work with him to kind of make sure it wasn't just an impression; it was a fully rounded character we were seeing on screen. I mean, the reason I started writing the script, I immediately knew that I wanted Christian Bale okay. for precisely that reason, that it wouldn't just be an impression. Yeah. It had to be a psychological impression. It had to be a psychological interpretation of him. So I would go to Christian's house and we would just talk for like three, four hours. And mm. I had already done a lot of research. He was starting with his research. And we would just have these long conversations about people like Dick Cheney or how do you become like this? And we would talk about certain segments of his mm. life and... Then Christian kind of goes off on his own and he has his own process and he's he ends up looking at every single piece of videotape or film you can ever see on him mm. and every piece of dialogue and every movement and and he becomes like a, not just an expert on the man Dick Cheney but an expert on like Dick Cheney's body mm. like his movements um it's really amazing to see and 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 this this whole group of actors in this movie really worked that way Amy Adams too uh, Lynn Cheney, uh, much less footage of her, mm. much harder uh, to, to get access to, to what her life's about. And uh, But all these actors did that. They did these incredible deep dives and, and to make sure that these characters would not be impressions, that they would be yeah. flesh and blood. And in terms of the sort of style of filmmaking you're going for here, it's very similar to The Big Short with this kind of dynamic approach to it, the filming, the editing, and the sort of breaking of the fourth wall. What is it about this style that you feel really works when you're telling these kind of 
you know, these heavy political sto- stories? You know, I think especially with Vice, uh, it could be very easy to fall into the rhythm of a, quote, political biopicture. Mm. And that's a very comfortable rhythm that we're all familiar with. Yeah. And I, I really did not want that to happen. Um, so I wanted the movie to keep the movie. I, I wanted the movie to keep the audience engaged at all times. Yeah. I wanted the audience to be surprised on the edge of their seat, curious, maybe sometimes confused, horrified. Um, because I, I think part of what's happened with representative government is that we we take a lot of it as like boring or yeah. we're cynical about it, and uh, we think these decisions don't matter. So I always wanted to have everything to have stakes and. Uh, and so, yeah, that's why we chose that style. It's a little bit of a different purpose than why we did it in The Big Short. Mm. In The Big Short, we did it because we had to explain. Uh, in this case, we did it because we, we wanted to make sure it was alive. Okay. Um, and then, so, how do you feel that your background in comedy has kind of informed your approach to the subject matter here? Well, I think because of those... Uh, you know, I trained in Chicago with Del Close, who's a famous improv teacher. Mm-hmm. And the way Del Close taught comedy and that that whole school of Chicago improvisation incorporates a lot of different forms of theater. Uh, it doesn't necessarily treat comedy as just comedy. Yeah, you can do serious things. You can do things that are sad. It, it, it's it's pretty wide. You know, obviously Mike Nichols came out of that background, and Elaine May, and a lot of a lot of really interesting people. So uh, I think the way it, 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 we used to do long form called the Herald. And within it, you would incorporate a lot of different theater forms. It wasn't just one form. Mm. And I think that naturally just bled into uh, my filmmaking in the sense that why not use other forms? Why not change up forms? People yeah. can handle it. Um, and uh, especially depending on whatever story you're going to tell. Sometimes you need to do it. Sometimes you yeah. don't. With this movie, it really felt like we needed to to put it on edge in some way. So it felt very natural to okay. it. Do you kind of see this as like a another stage in your career like from the big short onwards because obviously they're so different from what you've done in the past in terms of like feature filmmaking do you see this as like a new era for you in a way you know it's just i think we all all go on and we do things we like and you know eventually we change a little bit Mm. i I think a big thing is just that the world changed so much um it would be very strange to still be doing comedies like i did when i started Mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel like those types of comedies would even fit in the world right now. So a part of it's a reaction to the kind of insane world we live in. And then another part of it is just, as you keep making films, you want to try different stuff. I, I First and foremost, yeah, I love comedies, but I've always just been a fan of all kinds mm. of movies. Um, I grew up watching movies. I always watch movies nonstop. I'm, I'm definitely a, a film geek and a, and a fan first and foremost. So... Uh, you know, I'd love to make a horror movie one day. I'd love to, I still want to do a big Marvel movie. There's like <laughs> lots and lots of different yeah. kinds of movies I would still like to make. Um, but right now with where the world's at, they, these movies feel kind of right. Yeah, okay. And you're obviously kind of sort of known for allowing a lot of uh, sort of freedom and improvisation on set of the earlier films. Is that something you've carried on to Vice or was Vice a bit sort of tighter in terms of the script? And- 
every actor knows I always tell them if something's not comfortable, try it a different okay. way. Um, after we get a take that's good, you know, the circle take, I'll always say, okay, let's mess around with it a little bit. Yeah. I'm kind of on, always rewriting myself, truth mm. be told. So we'll be doing it on set, and there's a lot of conversations where I'll say, is that line any good? It doesn't feel right to me. And the yeah. actors will actually go, it seems great to me. And they'll defend the original line, even though it's my line. Um, so, yeah, I always like to tinker, kick it, pull it, uh, sometimes outright improvise. But as far as the amount of improv on set, it's nowhere near what we did on the comedies. I yeah. mean, I'd say the comedies were doing about 11% as much improv as the comedies. Yeah. I mean, we shot over a million feet of film on Step Brothers. We improvised yeah. a lot. Yeah, and Anchorman actually has two versions as well. Exactly. I mean, it was constant, constant improv. So, yeah. no, nowhere near as close as that, but I, I do like to keep that looseness. Yeah. I think it helps actors. I think there still gives room for discovery. I think you can feel that in the edit as well, because the editing's so kind of non-formal uh, and non-what mm. we've seen before. Do, are you that sort of, you know, uh, impulsive in the editing room as well? Well, a lot of that's Hank Corwin, my editor, yeah. who's got a very unique style. If you've ever seen like Natural Born Killers mm -hmm. or Tree of Life, um, those are Hank Corwin edited films, and he just, there's no one like him. And we sort of had a peanut butter and chocolate moment where we just clicked. I was like, where did you come from? Yeah. And uh, we've been having a lot of fun working together. He kind of edits like I filmmake. So, yeah. um, and for these last couple movies, it's just been the perfect style. And I understand that the um, election happened while you're in pre-production, is that right? We were actually tech scouting the TV okay. show we did, Succession, with okay. Jesse Armstrong, uh, one of your countrymen. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And we had a tech scout the next day after he won. I remember people in the crew were like crying. But I was also in the middle of the Cheney script as well. Yeah. So there was a moment of like, do you go ahead with this? Is this still the right story to tell? And after a beat, I felt like, yeah, it actually feels like the right story to tell. Okay. Yeah. Did it change anything? <sighs> no, no. It was always what it was. Yeah. It was always the portrait of Dick Cheney, which was Lynn Cheney. And then also as part of that, the portrait of the Republican Party and the yeah. rise of the Republican Party. And it still felt right. Right. Well, Adam McKay, it's been a pleasure. Thank An you absolute pleasure. Thank Thanks. you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique. And your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Sam, was it vice to meet him? <laughs> Very vice. He gave me some good advice. <laughs> oh god you guys sometimes <laughs> <laughs> alright the starting point for this weirdly seems like the big short because this feels like the second part in a new era 100% um, yeah whereas the, I bet I think yeah the big short's very much trying to capture this moment rather than a character 
the Big Short doesn't mm. doesn't really have characters as such. I know it does, but it doesn't feel, I can't remember anyone's name in the Big Short really. Mm, Michael Burry. Oh, you've read the book, doesn't count. I have seen the film <laughs> very recently okay. and read the book, <laughs> um, but none of the characters in the film are actually named after anyone in the book. Right. Okay. Mm. <laughs> but like, these aren't—they're not—they're they're not characters that people reference a lot. The Big Short's no, yeah. more about no one's like, oh, that classic Michael Barry line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's true. Um, it's very much about this thing that happened and the people that surrounded this thing. Whereas Vice is about all the things that happen around this one person mm. and mm. whether he creates them or he reacts to them. It's all about him. Like, he's clearly just latched onto something that he likes doing. Uh, I know he weirdly touches on it at the end of The Other Guys as well. Um, like, he delves into that. They feel like, oh, there's a, there was a yeah. serious guy under all of mm. these dick jokes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> strangely, when I was watching it and thinking about recent releases, the film that I kept thinking back to was The House That Jack Built. Of Go how, on. <laughs> no, he, he's almost developing this kind of hyper PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, it's it's essayistic, and yeah. he go like takes something that like with the big short. Um, there's a lot of stills, archive, documentary, mm. and then the film itself is shot in a mockumentary style as yeah. well. Mm. Um, so you really feel like you're constantly getting this almost newsreel footage mm. uh, of a film, and he's approaching Vice in the same way. And you've got this narration uh, by Jesse Plemons, yeah, and it feels like this this guide. And when it pauses for a still for a moment, it feels like a bit like Ken Burns. It is, we... yeah, <laughs> or Michael Moore. It's like, yeah. okay, let me explain what this is. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But in the same way, you don't, you never know where he's going to take it. Mm. You know, I mean, the movie stops halfway through and it starts again. Yeah. You know, like what the hell. I think he's not afraid to play with the audience either, you know. Yeah. Uh, expect. I think it's a nice... Uh, I love it when filmmakers don't sort of spoon-feed um, no. and they, they, this could be a story to have spoon-fed. Yeah. I think the hidden superstar of this film is Hank Corwin, the editor, mm. um, who was the editor on The Big Short. Yeah. Uh, but he also was... An, he did assistant work on... or contributing work on Moneyball, uh, mm. which was another Michael Lewis adaptation, which was uh, also the writer of The Big Short. And he's got this really interesting way of interpreting data mm. and kind of uh, bringing in what should be really boring and yeah. just giving it real energy. I s- said about Big Short feeling like newsreel, and I think something that Vice is playing with really interestingly is this idea of newsworthy imagery and our constant consumption of it and the characters that reside within those images. And he recreates news footage with the actors that we mm. are seeing in the film. Yeah. Even though we know what news footage that's coming from. Like, we know that there was George, the actual George Bush in that image. Yeah. But yeah. Sam Rockwell's playing it. Yeah. It's like this constant circle of reality and deception and the stage of politics all like being this never ending thing. And even though these performances are quite caricatured, like mm. everyone's super heightened. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And that only plays into it. And I know. Yeah. That's a lot of people's negative feelings towards the films are these people don't feel like real people. But I think that's what it's trying to say about yeah. the people that are getting into politics. Yeah, exactly. aren't really real because what they what they show, the face they show to the public is is a facade. Mm. It is like a performance. And it does feel like a staged thing. It is like, okay, well, you know, and you, you, you see the two sides of Dick Cheney in this film, which I think is a great thing because he doesn't shy away of... Of humanizing him at moments because he is a human but i think that it makes his uh, his uh decision making and what he does so much worse <laughs> you know what i mean because he 
he knows there's there's a there's a, there's a consequence to his uh, actions, mm, and yeah. he does it anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, it, it does kind of feel like a stage. Like mm. you see him on stage, and he's performing, and he knows what to say. And you see him at home, and he's a different person. Yeah. You know. Um, and it, I think it's uh, very clever filmmaking. Yeah. I do love how opinionated this film is as well. It's not trying to walk a line between left and right or whatever. It's, no. it's McKay's opinions are there on screen for you to see. And it, it's a scathing attack of mm. Dick Cheney. But mm. it's not saying he's this big evil guy. He's saying this guy's a really terrible person. <laughs> and he, you know, ruined a lot of people's lives because he could. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's not like it's like a, like a super villain that like the the great super villains we kind of get an entry point into to make you think oh there are things that have happened to you and you're still terrible yeah, yeah. um you're not just evil for evil's sake that's pointless like yeah. there'll yeah. be no fun to exactly watch that. yeah um but the the let's look at the central performance here um Christian Bale yeah uh I think he's terrific uh, I think he's uh... It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait! Oh, well, oh, uh, Christian's back. Well, George, um, better call an ambulance. I'm having a heart attack. That's that was a good gag. Like that's <laughs> that's, that's really one of the good great gag. gags. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he manages to sell it somehow as Dick Cheney in 1963 and 2015. Mad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously huge credits to the makeup team. Yep. I'm, uh, sadly, I don't know their names, but they've done a terrific job here. They're nominated, aren't they? I'm, they yeah, must they be. Right? It's, yeah. it's fantastic. He does it. Like It doesn't feel cheap at all. It doesn't. And it's not It's not just an impression for all. I mean, let, let's be honest. Sam Rockwell's just doing a Bush impression here. Yeah. yeah. He's in like th- what, three or four scenes and he's there to do a very good, very funny George Bush impression. Mm. Christian Bale, <laughs> although it's a great Dick Cheney impression, that's not all he's doing. This is a real person, mm. and it's it seems cliche to say it's about Christian Bale now, but he really does just disappear into this role. Mm. Mm. I can't, I didn't think the word Christian Bale, the words Christian Bale, once in this film. Mm. I didn't True. think I was watching a performance at all. No, yeah. and I, I think you do think that of the supporting characters, like, yeah, because yeah. a great supporting actor. The challenge there is within a short window to still give you an. Uh, a window into the life of someone. Yeah. I don't think you get that from Rockwell. As you say, it's just, it feels like something that we've seen and we don't, we're yeah. not get, learning anything new. I think Carell should have been yeah. supporting actor agree, nomination yeah. over Rockwell, personally. Because yeah. he, again, has to do Donald Rumsfeld across 40, dec- uh, mm. 40 years. And he's 40 decades. 40 decades. <laughs> well, it's old man Rumsfeld. <laughs> Born in 1772. Um <laughs> But he's doing something incredible as well because he's he's the biggest character in the film. Mm. Like, yeah, he's, he's huge. out there, yeah. 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 <clears throat> he goes through some fantastic eras of glasses. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> glasses yeah. and hair. Oh, and his the, the Corel laugh yeah. is great in this film. It's really good, We spoke yeah. last week about Corel screaming in mm. Beautiful Boy. Mm-hmm. This gets good Corel laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to divert away there for a moment and just say people should check out Welcome to Marwin if you can because it's unlike anything you would have seen for a long, Steve long time. Steve Carell has had the weirdest year of his life. Yes. This month for Carell. <laughs> oh, man. To be a member of the Carell fan club right now. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, something that I would really love to talk about is uh, Nicholas Brattel's score. Mm. Um, he also did the score for If Beale Street Could Talk, Moonlight, and 
The Big Short. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Short is a terrific score, and the final track on it is The Big Short Piano Suite. And the first track of Vice almost feels like a continuation of that. He's mm. a fantastic wow. pianist, and you think like this score is pretty bombastic at times. Yeah. Um, but these moments, because it is such a erratic film in style and performance mm. and it's so excited all the time when it does slow down the fact that you've got this brilliant slow pianist there mm. I think is exactly the rhythm that it needs to go by um, and you listen to something like Beale Street which has this great atmosphere to it without ever feeling like you're being dominated mm. at all um, and I just think he's a terrific addition and I'm sure we'll be going on to do a lot more stuff it is well. a great school yeah Sam, you mentioned in the interview with Adam McKay uh, how he likes to improvise uh, with yeah. people in the past, and that's something that he's known for, from Step Brothers and the other guys of chucking lines out to comedic actors and maybe in a serious political drama that spans yeah. decades. We don't expect many gags, um, but that's one of your favourite things about it. Yeah, what I love about this film and the reason I think that I prefer it to The Big Short is that I think this is a lot funnier. I think this is a full-on comedy, uh, and there are because there are there are gags in this film that are so elaborate and must have been so expensive and time-consuming to set up that do nothing for <laughs> the story that are just there to be... I think they're just there to be funny. Mm. And I love that you have those moments in a film, a biopic of Dick Cheney. That Adam McKay is having so much fun making this film in the writing, in the production, and in the editing. Mm. Like Kelly mentioned it earlier, this, the fake ending in the middle is so funny but could completely be cut out and it wouldn't affect yeah. the rhythm of the film. It's just a really great gag. Mm. And that's yeah. what I love. Kind of like how Airplane just has is a 90-minute series of gags that mm. don't really connect together in, in a narrative. Uh, it's, it's incredible. And that, that's, I think that's his challenge here is that there's not, not a neat story to Dick yeah, Cheney. Exactly. Um, yeah, there, there is like his success. Could you imagine um, if this story was told one scene after the other, yeah. tracking from 1960, yeah. 1960s to the 2000s, one decade after the other, without any of the narration, without any of the yeah. you know, kinetic think, editing. And that's mm. why McKay is a great choice for it, because yeah. he's doing everything that he can to break up what we know about a biopic yeah. structure. We all know that Cheney becomes vice president. We know that 9-11 happened. We know that he's instrumental in uh, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. But I don't, in, in watching Vice, I didn't know what was going to happen and when one scene after the other. Well, yeah. I didn't know when that was going to happen because I didn't know if he was going to then suddenly jump back to another time. I didn't know if the film was going to restart again. I didn't know if there's going to be another Shakespearean scene. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. We've mentioned a lot of the uh, the actors. There. Obviously, Bale is the one that most people are talking about. Yeah. Um, but Amy Adams is Lynn Cheney, too. Yeah, sh- she's great. And, you know... I think people are making a lot of like Lady Macbeth comparisons with her and you do get the feeling that she is another power behind the throne mm-hmm. who's the power behind the throne. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. did you think? Well, yeah, because it's only when she scolds him does he go, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll make something of myself. Mm. You know, it's literally his, her influence um, and you can tell how, how much... But that's what I mean, you know, the Dick Cheney at home. You can tell that she's the boss at home, mm. <laughs> you know, and, um, and you do... F- get a sense that they that they uh, love each other and are a power couple, but in a very <laughs> dangerous way. Yeah, power uh, being the optimum Power, word, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but she's great in it, I think. Uh, she's also the makeup. Her makeup was incredible. Yeah. Just also, mm. also how they age her. So subtle. So subtle. But convincing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, she's maybe favourite to win Best Born Actress? Really? 
I know, because like, Regina, Regina King, King. But yeah. Regina King wasn't nominated for us the SAG Award. Oh, that's weird. I, yeah, mm. I watched Beale Street again this weekend. Did you? She's, yeah. still she's in brilliant. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's so, so good. Um, all right, and Beale Street will be lucky enough to talk about in a few weeks' time. Yay! Um, right, uh, but that, that's about it on Vice. Uh, if you do have any thoughts on the film, please email us. Uh, the address is podcast at curzon.com, or you can just tweet us the old-fashioned way at Curzon Cinemas. Um, and if people want to tweet you two, they can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Sam, um, where can people find you? They can find me by going onto Twitter and searching Sam Howlett underscore one. And Kelly, you're, you're tweeting a lot more. A lot more. I'm getting on it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, KS underscore Powell. Yeah, and you two went off and podcasted with someone else. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, Jay. we did. Sorry. sorry yeah. Jay. Just cheated on you a little bit. Yeah. We got to sp- speak to uh, Kobe, who was, he's been on our podcast before as a contributor. Um, they've got a podcast called uh, Flix Watcher. Um, and we uh, spoke about, uh, in in a huge amount of depth, uh, Roma. Yeah, in, uh, well, re- regular to... listeners will know that's like one of, your, well, I think you said one of the best films of the decade. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If, yeah. if you want to hear a bit more of Kelly Roma standing, uh, <laughs> head over to the Flix Watcher pod. If you don't fancy heading to the cinema this week uh, for Destroyer or Vice, uh, you can always watch something at home on Curzon Home Cinema. Let's hand off to our very own home cinema coordinator, Sam Howlett. <laughs> what Thank can we do much, if we're Jake. sitting on the sofa? If you're sitting on the sofa, Jake, you should check out Alexandria Bombach's documentary On Her Shoulders, which is about Nadia Murad, who's a 23-year-old Yazidi who survived genocide at the hands of ISIS. Uh, and she repeats her story to the world, uh, an ordinary woman thrust onto the international stage as the voice of her people. So do check that out. It's got a very good review in The Guardian. Yeah, and there's also a lot of the BAFTA-nominated BAFTA features. BAFTA-nominated films, well. Oscar-nominated films, Cold War, which got a lot of surprise nominations mm. to the Oscars. We're all very happy about that. Uh, you can check that out on Cousin Home Cinema too. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Okay, uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. It's goodbye from Sam. Uh, goodbye. It's goodbye from Kelly. Bye. And it's goodbye from me. Bye-bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.